Welcome to the Contrast Church Podcast. Contrast is located in Grandview, Ohio, with the mission to help people be with Jesus, become like Him, and live out His mission together. For more information on attending our meetings, our missional communities, or giving, visit contrast.church. Alrighty, so I would like to imagine for you, I want you to imagine that you died. Okay, it's a good start. I would like for you to imagine that you died and you, you're in heaven. Okay, you realize you're in heaven. You're sitting on a couch, okay? And to the left of you is Adolf Hitler. To the right of you, Joseph Stalin. What is your first thought as you're sitting there? You, you can say it out loud if you want. Someone in first service is like, I think I'm in hell. <laughs> you can be honest here. Uh, but the point of the story is that I doubt very many of you, very many of you thought, wow, I can't believe I'm in heaven. You probably thought, what are these guys doing here, right? Or am I really in heaven? And the point of that provocative little illustration is that uh, we so quickly are willing to judge our own identity and our place based on those around us, right? That we think that we uh, have this idea of a standard. And at the end of the day, if Adolf Hitler and Joseph Stalin are in heaven, a lot of us, are gonna, our minds are theologically going to be blown. Like, wow, okay, this is not what I thought it would be. But our first thought is less about rejoicing in the fact that we are in heaven and more angry or confused at the fact that who else is in heaven with us. And that's what this parable that we're going to read in Matthew 20 that Allison read is all about. Uh, if we've been going through Matthew. We're in the fifth part of Matthew. Matthew's 28 chapters. Uh, we've got about 20-some more weeks. We're week 60 into Matthew right now. We're in part five. And this part is all about the way in which God in his kingdom reveals his values and his ethics and his and the people who are in it and what it looks like. And it is basically in an exact flipped upside down way of the way the world works as we experience it. Meaning that the people who we deem as intelligent and powerful and wealthy, we think those people are the people we want on our team. God's actually like, no, those aren't the people I want at all. That actually it's harder to enter the kingdom rich right, than, than if you were poor because you typically are prideful and you're not willing to repent and you think that this wealth will accumulate for you true happiness. And so in Matthew 18, we experience uh, Jesus' belief of how relationships should be in the kingdom. And that is basically that we should always pursue right relationship with people, that if we have animosity between others, that it's so important that it actually affects our ability to even be in communion with God, that our prayers are, he says, if you don't forgive others, I won't forgive you. There's this reality of how severe it is that we don't make relationships right on our end. And he also talks about confrontation, how that's inevitable. If you want to follow Jesus, you are going to confront not only your own sin, but those in the lives around you that call themselves followers of Jesus. Uh, he also talks about forgiveness. There's just like, we have to be a forgiving people. And we've seen radical displays of that in the world, but we ourselves as a community have to forgive others, ourselves, our family, and, and those outside of us. And then last chapter, which we covered all, all last week, was all about the three most prominent idols in the world that are important kingdom values, but the way that we steward those idols affect whether or not they're a value or they become an idol, a god in our life. And that was our, our, uh, our love for sexuality, marriage, and divorce, and what we think about those things and how we prioritize ourselves in that. We talked about power and influence and status and how we should actually pursue what Jesus would say is becoming like a little one and not pursuing power and influence and pride for the sake of ourselves. And the last one was just wealth or greed. The Hebrew, I love the Hebrew word mammon. It's like all of your like... Your, your net worth and the way that you pursue things. And so all those things, I said all three of those we all have, whether we like it or not. We're all stewarding those three things. The world consumes them as idols in a certain way, and Jesus says, no, let's take these, and these are actually going to be values in the kingdom, but they're flipped upside down. So chapter 20 
is, is basically Jesus reiterating that reality of the flipping upside down of things. And he's going to talk about it specifically today in relationship to salvation and just rewards. What does it look like to have rewards in heaven? Now, what's interesting about this story is Matthew, the gospel according to Matthew, is one of the four accounts that we have in the Bible. Mark follows a lot of close, um, they kind of work off each other. So there's a lot of similarities. You might read a story in Mark and be like, wow, that's like almost the same thing as Matthew, because it is. And so Matthew, though, is taking, he's taking this little story and he's adding it, because before and after he's copying Mark, essentially. So clearly Matthew wants, to, wants us to see the deeper reality of how we see the gospel and God's love and fairness and justice in the world. He actually, right before this in Matthew 19, he says, whoever has left houses, brothers, sisters, father, mother, children, or fields for the sake of my kingdom will receive a hundred times as much and will inherit eternal life. But many who are first will be last and the last first. If you notice, he just said that, and then at the end of our passage today, he'll say that again. So there's this reality of the story, this parable that we're reading, is, is giving us a deeper understanding of what does it mean, right? It's not like Ricky Bobby, like, if you ain't first, you're last, right? There's something much greater there. Uh, and so it's, it's a high bar to follow him. We, we have to be willing to give up all. And what I love about this passage and what we're reminded of is that I use this illustration. I think it's the best way to describe it is that if you were, if Jesus was to pick a, a, a team out of a lineup, like eighth grade dodgeball again, and you're having probably like PTSD, right? I was 5'3", 85 pounds. I could have been the dodgeball when I was in eighth grade. So I did not get picked uh, really very often at all. Um, but... We've all had that reality where you pick the best players, right? You, you know who has the biggest arm. You know which kid hit puberty when he was five and just can throw the ball 100 miles an hour, right? You, you know that, um, and you pick those players. And what God's standard of, of life on, on earth for the kingdom is the exact opposite. It is the downtrodden and the sick and the hurting and the disabled and the, the meek. And all of those people, the prerequisite for all those people is humility, whether they were given it by the life they were given or they had to work for the sense of humility, all that, that's the team that Jesus, uh, that Jesus picks for his kingdom. And so we're going to see that in this reality of this vineyard. So in Matthew 20, verse 1, if you want to follow along, we have Bibles in the back. Uh, Jerry can give you one. You can steal it and keep it. We love that. We promote thievery here. Um, verse 1, Jesus says, For the kingdom of heaven or the kingdom of God, his kingdom, what he is desiring for us to be a part of, is like a landowner who went out early in the morning to hire workers for his vineyard. And after agreeing with the workers for the standard wage, he sent them into his vineyard. A vineyard is probably the most common agrarian illustration in Palestine, uh, of first century Palestine, that region. You had grain, you had sheep, cattle, you had vineyards. Um, people drank wine back then, like southern people drink sweet tea, right? Like you have your water tap, and then you have your sweet tea tap, right? And so they drank so much wine that there was just vineyards everywhere. Everyone knew about vineyards. So Jesus is bringing out this parable. Everyone's like, all right, I get it, vineyard, right? And the way that it used to work then, and it still works now in some countries, is if you're just a day laborer, you have either a physicality that works for that, or maybe you're not like super skilled, you're just kind of a hard worker. Uh, you would go to the, the, the temple, or the, not the temple, the center of the city, the marketplace, whatever, and employers would come and they'd size you up in a lineup and they'd say, you come work with me today. And so every day your job could be different. Uh, you were not promised work every day. In fact, if you were a slave, what we call, uh, is better understood as a servant, but slaves back then actually had more stability than these day laborers because s servants or slaves usually like slept in a certain quarters. They were promised social uh, specific statuses. They were promised meals. So in some ways, like being a day laborer was not, like there's no union back then, right? 
Uh, and so it was honestly like, this is all I can do. I'm going to do this. And if you got injured, you broke your arm, you'd still show up and hope someone hired you. But if you're the business owner, there's two reasons why you're showing up at 6 a.m. The first reason is because you got a full day's work ahead. Second reason is you want the best of the best, right? If you're trying to move the most product, uh, clip the most grapes, move the most bushels, whatever, you don't want the guy with a broken arm who can only use one hand. You want the burly dude who, like, this, he lives for this, right? And so what happens is you get there early before all the other landowners, you get the best cream of the crop. So this landowner shows up, and, and, and Jesus is saying the kingdom of heaven is like a landowner. And so what he's saying is basically a land, the landowner in this parable is God, and this is God's kingdom, right? This vineyard, and, and the phrase vineyard for us is a practical vineyard, but in the Old Testament, vineyard was often used synonymously with the, the nation of Israel, God's chosen people that were to be set apart to prove this is what God's love looks like on earth when they follow these laws. They didn't do that very well. We know that. That's the whole two-thirds of your Bible at the beginning. They didn't do it very well. And so the vineyard is a reminder that like God is like, I am, I am overseeing this vineyard and picking who labors in my, my vineyard, in my kingdom. So we, we see that he invites these guys. He gives them the standard wage. Now, we've talked about the Roman currency the last few weeks because we've been talking about money a lot. God, uh, Jesus talks about money. uses it a lot. Everybody understands money at that time. They have to pay for things. So we use the denarii as what would be the standard wage for a day's work. One denarii was equivalent to like a half shekel or a fourth shekel of the Jewish currency, but that was standard pay. If you were a day laborer, you expected that, right? And you, most people would work for that. So it was pretty well understood that was what you would get but it was always incrementally paid. It's like hourly. So if you worked a full day, you get one denarii. If you worked a half day, half denarii, right, et cetera. So everybody would know, if I get picked up early in the morning, I'm going to get a full day denarii. That's great. But if you weren't a very good worker, you were weak, you slept through your alarm, you get picked up later in the day, like you're not going to make as much. And you know that going into it. And so this landowner picks a team that would probably assemble a great Red Rover team, <laughs> probably like strong guys who can just move a lot of stuff and get stuff done. And, but then the landowner decides, I need more workers. So in verse 3, when it was about 9 o'clock in the morning, he went out again and saw others standing around the marketplace without work. He says to them, you go to the vineyard too, and I will give you what is right. Whatever is right is what I talked about, the hourly rate, meaning that they're already only going to get, you know, five-sixths of a denarii. They won't get a full denarii because they already missed a few hours of work. So they went, and he went out again about noon and 3 o'clock, basically every three hours, he did the same thing. And about 5 o'clock, now 5 o'clock is like, I mean, this is like last call because they would work like 6 a.m. until the sun went down around 6 or 7. So this is, this is last call, 5 p.m. In fact, I'm like, why aren't these guys just going home? Just calling it a loss. Just like go home with your family. And they're, they're standing there at 5 o'clock. He went out and found others standing around and said to them, why are you standing here all day without work? And they said to him, because no one hired us. So he says to them, you go and you work in the vineyard too. Now remember, these guys are not who you want to hire, but you're also like, well, <laughs> they're only going to work an hour or so. I'd rather have them for an hour than them for like 12 hours, you know. So at the end of the day, the landowner just picks up these guys. Now, we don't know, does the landowner need them? Is he just being generous because they don't have work? He's just trying to pay them, help them out? Or is there just so much, there's so many vines popping off that he's like, I just need more workers and we just need more people. We don't really know. But what we do know is that he's hiring people all day. Like that's, he's just driving back and forth, hiring more people because this vineyard is just being so, it's so fruitful or he just feels bad. Um, and so he does that. Then the evening rolls around, and this is how you're paid. Nowadays, we, you know, we get ADP rolling every two weeks or a month or whatever, but, or weekly maybe, but back then it was like you just got paid after you worked. So it says in verse 8, When evening came, the owner of the vineyard said to his manager, Hey, go call the workers and give them pay, starting with the last hired until the first. 
So when those hired about 5 o'clock came, each received a full day's pay. And when those hired first came, they thought they would receive more, but each one also received the standard wage. When they received it, they began to complain against the landowner, saying, These last fellows worked one hour, and you have made them equal to us, who bore the hardship and burning heat of the day. Now, this is not how things were done in this culture. Even today, I don't think we'd be very happy about this. But there's two things. The first is that they paid the, the last people first, which was never the case. You always paid your best, hardest, longest working workers first. The second thing is that they paid them the same amount. They paid them all the same amount. And you can, you can tell by their reaction that every, everybody was expecting to be paid, like I said, in this incremental amount. And also, it's far better to work at 5 p.m. outside than at 12 or 3 p.m. when it's, you know, this is Middle East area. I mean, it's hot. So they, they get rid of all the sun. They don't got to get the sunburn. They don't got to sweat. They just roll in at 5 o'clock, do a few bushels, and then head out. And so these guys are like, we've been here all day. What the heck? Like, this isn't fair. And I, I think about this, and our, our response, and probably your response, is like, yeah, that isn't really very fair. Like, I don't really like that. Even, like, from the outside, you'd be like, I don't think that's a good practice. And if, if we're taking this parable a little bit further, which is reading into it a little bit, but if this is a, probably a small town, people probably know the landowner. So he's building a reputation that these burly 6 a.m. guys are probably not really going to like, right? Or they're going to think, well, maybe I'll manipulate the system, and I'll, I'll, won't, I'll sleep through my alarm, and I'll show up at... 3 p.m. and not work in the sun, right? Or I'm not going to go to that guy. I'm not going to take his work anymore, right? So you can think about the implications here, uh, all because this landowner decides to do something a certain way. But what is most important about this story is our reaction to the landowner's decision to pay in the way that he wants to pay. I had a very similar experience in my own life. Uh, when I was a junior in college, I had to do a summer internship, and I had two options. I had a really great like awesome internship in the wonderful corn fields of Indiana, uh, or the beautiful, amazing, bending river, mountainous, amazing town of Bend, Oregon. And uh, the main difference was money. Uh, the, in, the Indiana one would have paid me a couple thousand dollars. The Bend, Oregon one I had to pay $500 to do. And so I'm like praying through this wrestling, and honestly, I was like, I just want to go to Oregon. So, so I went to Oregon. I knew one of the, worker, one of the people on staff there. And I paid the $500, and it was amazing. It was a great 10 weeks. Um, but I remember going and thinking, I have a really good resume. I'm, I'm telling you, this is my heart, okay, so don't judge me. But there we had 19 interns, um, which is a lot. They had a pretty robust intern program. And I remember being like, man, like, all these people aren't even going to do ministry. Like, I, I have a great resume. Like, I'm probably, like, one of the hardest working. And whatever, I start to think that in my heart. And then I find out, a few weeks in, we're talking with some of the interns, that one of the interns got to go for free that they didn't have to pay anything. And I'm like, what in the world? You are not, like, there's no way that you're plowing the weight that I am, nor do you even have, like, you don't even want to be here. You've talked about that, right? So immediately, my heart, what does it do? It compares, right? I'm like, well, I'm better than you, and, but you didn't have to pay. How is that fair? So then I start to, like, put everybody on a pedestal, right? And then I start to question the, the leadership. Who are they to make these kind of discerning decisions? Like, if I was supposed to get an award, it should have been me, or I should have, you know. I also didn't ask, okay, so part of my own fault. These guys didn't ask, right? But I agreed to pay this amount to do this internship, right? And so after a while of reflecting, probably a couple days, I started to realize, wow, like, this has nothing, this is, this has nothing to do with my authority or my own um, realm. This is totally their decision. And I should be grateful that I even got selected to do this internship. And I've learned an insane amount. And I actually, God gave me this really crazy 
job teaching golf lessons, and I made tons of money doing it. And I'm like, I don't even know why these people trust me. I can barely break 80. But I taught all these golf lessons to kids, and I, a host family let me borrow a car and a motorcycle. Like, there was just all of these blessings that, that I had gotten. And here I am being mad because the person who I didn't think deserved it got to go for free. And pretty quickly I started to realize, but that's not my decision. And this, this resentment is not only affecting my relationship with them, it's affecting my relationship with all the other interns because I'm like kind of playing this game, right, this ranking scale. It's affecting my relationship with the staff and the leadership who are mentoring me because I'm like, I don't trust your integrity, right? You're not discerning and wise. And after a while I just had to realize like this is not my battle. This is out of my control. And then the next, the deeper level of, that's, that's starting to get toward the path of health, right? This is out of my control. The deeper path is I should be grateful that I'm here, that I'm learning things. And like even now, several years later, I am so thankful for that internship. I learned an insane amount and I loved it. And I will never probably have as good a 10-week experience in my life as in Bend, Oregon in the summer. But if you ever want to go on vacation, go to Bend, Oregon. It's great. Um, but I felt this sense of, of resentment and frustration. And, um, and you've probably heard this phrase, comparison is the thief of joy. And that was like my, my life for a few days. And I'm sure that you've all felt this in different ways in your life. Now, this parable is more about, like, spiritual, and, but you've probably felt this with just health, right? Like, maybe you've been comparing yourself, and you're angry that you have this person who's, like, they're barely even a Christian, and they don't have any health problems, and here, I'm here with, like, six disabilities. What's going on, right? And I've been faithful. Or, well, so-and-so had these parents. Why did I grow up with these traumatic parents or absent parents, Right? Or so-and-so had uh, this relationship, and they're totally unhealthy, but they still are finding, like, worth in it, and I'm single, or, right, you name it. Or these people have kids, and I, have, I can't have kids, right? Or, right, you name it. There's a million different things that we can compare each other to. And if we do this after a while, it just becomes exhausting, and it builds a, a sense of resentment and bitterness. And this is what happens when you put humans into a room, and you try to decide what's best for everyone. This is what happens every time. The disciples, two chapters ago, the whole reason these last two chapters exist is because the disciples were arguing about if Jesus was going to die or his plan was going to work out, who was going to be the, the number two? Who was going to be the greatest among the twelve? And all they're arguing about is, well, I, I handle the money, so I should, oh, well, I, Jesus invites me to things he doesn't invite you to. Well, you know, like, it's just stupid. People are ridiculous. And you can try and play the game like you're always being selfless and you're always having people's best interests in mind, but you're really not. And we can, we can see this politically. I'm going to put up some political stuff. All right? It's going to make you tense. Don't judge me. All right? This is a funny illustration of how some economics work. And keep in mind, this is supposed to make you laugh a little bit. But socialism is you have two cows, and you give one to your neighbor. Next one. Communism is you have two cows. The state takes both and gives you some milk. Fascism is you have two cows. The state takes both and sells you some milk. Bureaucratism is you have two cows, the state takes both, shoots one, milks the other, and then throws the milk away. Traditional capitalism is you have two cows, you sell one and buy a bull, your herd multiplies and the economy grows, and you sell them and retire on your income. America. Venture capitalism, you have two cows, you sell three of them to your publicly listed company using letters of credit opened by your brother-in-law at the bank, then execute a debt equity swap with an associated general offer so that you get all four cows back with a tax exemption for five cows. The milk rights of the six cows are transferred via an intermediary to a Cayman Island company secretly owned by the majority shareholder who sells the rights to all seven cows back to your listed company, and the annual report says the company owns eight cows with an option on one more. <laughs> 
I don't know if you were stressed at any of those, um, but we live in a world, like, guys, it's a mess. Um, I know we're America, and democracy is the right way, right? We, we, we rebelled from England, right? Good for us. And, like, we don't have problems, right? Uh, and I don't even need to get into them. That's not my job. I'm not paid enough for that. But, um, but I don't need to work very hard to prove to you that letting people to their own devices and being the judge, or I would just say in general, playing God is a terrible, <laughs> terrible idea. And that is, the, that is civilization over thousands of years, is history, people wanting to become kings. Uh, my favorite phrase in the book of Judges is, and people did right in their own eyes, right? And that book of Judges is like murder and chaos, the whole book. It's what people do when they think is right in their own eyes is, is just like, just not a good thing. It's not a good thing. And even the disciples are guilty of this. And so Jesus is telling this parable, and Matthew's including it, because he's saying, look, when you start to like stack up rewards with people, it's going to cause bitterness, it's going to cause resentment, it's going to cause jealousy because all of you secretly want to play God. I'm not saying playing like a game, I'm saying you want to be the role of God. You want to be like Bruce Almighty and have the email list and then be like, oh, I didn't sign up for this and you just hit like yes to all of them, right? If you've seen that movie. Um, Jim Carrey's finest. Um, and, uh, but we've all, we've all felt that. And so the, the, what I love about the response of the landowner is the phrase that I think sets our pace for, for uh, the landowner's response is that these hard workers at the beginning said, you have made us equal to, right? Like, they're basically blaming the landowner, saying, this is your fault. You have made us equal to so-and-so, and we don't believe that we're equal. And this is how the landowner, which is supposed to be God in the parable, responds. He says in verse 13, friend, which is good, very gracious, because they're like, hey, you're not paying us enough money. Uh, typically, that doesn't go very well. Right? If you tell your boss, like, you suck and pay me more money, right? Friend, I am not treating you unfairly. Didn't you agree with me to work for the standard wage? Take what is yours and go. I want to give this last man the same that I gave you. Am I not permitted to do what I want with what belongs to me? Or are you envious because I am generous? So the last will be first and the first last. Are you envious because I am generous? Are you bitter because I decide what I do with my stuff? Now, I don't need to be very nuanced here to describe what he's saying. There's like four statements, basically. I am God. This is my kingdom or my vineyard. You're lucky to be here. And I paid you. And I get to be generous with what is mine. I mean, that's essentially what he's saying. Now, that's not the most like positive, uplifting message. But that's the truth. Is anyone in this vineyard not getting paid? No. Everybody's walking away. But is, are some people being, more, being given more generously? Yes. Is it the people we expected? No. So we realize pretty quickly our response to this parable is how we treat people in situations in our life that we still have a standard of fairness that we believe is correct. And it almost always is affecting ourselves or our kin, typically. Or, or in some countries, our race or in some countries, our company, right? You name it. Like, it, we have a bias towards the things that affect us or the people around us or the people that are like us. And now, a lot of commentators argue about, like, who are, who are these workers in relationship to this parable, right? Are, are they, like, the disciples who are the, the 6 a.m. workers? They, they follow Jesus right away, and now there's a bunch of people that are jumping on ship, right, before everything, and he's saying, like, look, everybody's welcome. Is he talking about Jewish people who have been following the, 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 the Torah and the laws of God for hundreds of years, and now it's going to be accessible to Gentiles and non-Christians, and those people also get the same reward? 
Is he talking about more just like conversions, meaning you've been a Christian since you were five and you've had to plow through hard times in your life and someone who's 85 is on their deathbed 10 minutes before they die and they accept Jesus and they want to follow him and, and Jesus is like, you both get you know, the reward. We don't necessarily know. I don't even think there's really a great answer. Um, I think it's a little hard to believe that, that this parable is specifically about people dying, right, converting at the last minute. But, but all of them are included in what I think is the general idea and that the blessing of God's not only eternal kingdom that you receive, but that is, that is eternity after death, which is what 90s American Christians love to focus on, but forget that we're also in a kingdom of blessing here and now. That's why we wear the shirt in Grandview as it is in heaven. We have the flag, right? Is that we believe that we actually, right now, if we choose to follow Jesus, are, are, are revealing glimpses of God's kingdom here now in Grandview through the way that we're generous, through the way that we handle relationships, through the way we handle marriage, through the way that we love others, through the way that we are willing to not be jealous or gossip or slander or compare or you name it, right? That's what the kingdom that he's framing. And this story is essentially destroying your hidden sin of fairness. The gospel is not fair on our terms. One commentator, uh, just at the end, he just boils it all down, and he says, R.T. France, who has been saying a lot of great things throughout this series, he says, the essential point of the parable is that God's generosity transcends human ideas of fairness. No one receives less than they deserve, but some receive far more. And I think the, the rub there, being formed to the image of Christ, is how we respond when other people around us are blessed more than us, Right? The, the beginning where you're sitting on a couch and you're like, gosh, oh boy, why are these guys here, right? This is not good. We're so much more worried about those people and judging them than we are about being excited about what God has given us, right? This is like Christmas 101 when you're a kid, right? Well, Santa didn't bring me anything, but Santa brought my neighbor a bike and clearly Santa doesn't love me, right? I mean, tell me you haven't thought that when you were seven and you're like, well, Santa gave me an Xbox, but so-and-so got an Xbox and a PlayStation, Right? And you just you think like, well, I, clearly I'm not good enough, right? Or I, just, I guess, which is funny because it used to be you get coal. Coal has a very high value now. So honestly, getting a bag of coal, you could do a lot of damage with that. But plus, if you leave it around for a couple million years, it's diamonds. So boom. Um, but it, it's like we just, you know, we, we, we've experienced the weight of this in our life. And, and Jesus is, is, is trying to just level the playing field, not in a terms of equality, on our terms, but on his terms. If God's love is truly unending and uncomprehensible, why would we think that we have it so easily figured out? Like, I think it's silly when, when someone's like, well, that's not fair, and then you get down the road, why do you think that's not fair? And then you realize, oh, like, that's, that's your opinion, right? But then you have someone else who's like, no, it's totally fair, and then you get to the root of their, their opinion, you're like, oh, that's also probably not a very good opinion. But, you know, there's, what do we do, right? How do we decide? This is the world that we live in. And so the only, when we talk about, like, absolute truth, we talk about the Bible, we talk about the way at which God sees things, we get glimpses of it in the Bible, but there's still far more in, that's not in the Bible that we have to be willing to surrender and trust that God is, knows what he's doing and he's not just flippantly making decisions that have no value. For some of us, we've been so angry at God because of a decision that we think he made on us based on something we did or didn't do. And that's just not true. Right? It's not this prosperity thing where, well, if I just give $1,000, I'll get back $10,000, right? Or if I just am not mean to my uncle, then he'll love me more, right? Like, we, we make up these games, and then what happens is, when someone else does the same thing and they get blessing and you don't, then you get mad at God. And you blame God for something that, honestly, Jesus is like, no, 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 no. You've been 
generously loved and graciously given something, and you're completely getting rid of that because you're mad about what someone else got. If you have ever read The Prodigal Son, which is a parable in Luke, it's really good. Um, it's like probably like one of the best parables. I just love it. It's great. And there's this younger brother, this older brother, and then the father who's like God. And the younger brother takes his money and says, screw you, dad, I want all your money. I think you're going to die. I hate you. Let me go party with prostitutes. And he does. And then a famine hits, a.k.a. recession. And he's got no more money. He partied it all. He like went and had a good time in Las Vegas. And he's like, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to work. And he's like, this is terrible. I'm going to go back. The elder brother stays there the whole time. Good firstborn. You know how it goes. And um, the younger brother comes back, and his father welcomes him, grabs him a road, slaughters the fattened calf, throws a party. He's like, he is back home. And what is the elder brother? Everybody stops the story. Oh, it's so beautiful. I've been a younger brother. I was far off, and God grabbed me and found me. Yes. But what is the elder brother doing? He's sitting out in the fields, and he's like, I'm not going in there. Like, what a punk, right? He doesn't deserve this. And he literally says, like, Dad never killed a fattened calf for me, you know? And you're like, yeah. And so then the father comes, and you're kind of like, yeah, elder brother, I think you're right. Yeah, this isn't cool, right? And then the, the father, who's gracious, is like, son, everything I have is yours. Your brother's here. Like, just celebrate. Be excited. Be happy. Be thankful. And I think we so often absorb ourselves so much in the younger brother that we forget that a lot of us, especially Christians, are guilty of playing this comparison game where we're just sitting with our arms crossed like, well, God, you didn't give me that, so I'm going to stop praying. Or we, like, play games. We test God. Well, if you give me this, then I'll really know that you're there, that you're listening. And all, all it does is you're just quantifying every aspect of your faith. And if God doesn't meet you where you want, you get angry at him. Now, if I'm not God, but if I were God, that'd be kind of a bummer, wouldn't it? Imagine if marriage was like that, where you're like, well, I'll love you once you get to here, right? I'll withhold love until you do the dishes, and then I'll love you, right? Or until you do this thing or you stop doing that. That's the whole opposite of what marriage is supposed to represent. Marriage is an unconditional covenant that replicates Jesus' love for us. Jesus does not love us first on what we do. And I, I think that this idea of rewards is this deep gospel root belief that if you're not grateful for even what you have and you spend all your time comparing others, you're not understanding the gospel. It's not having any weight in your life. Romans 3 talks about this. Uh, I love this. Paul is talking to the church of Rome and they're dealing with Rome, who's like the governmental superpower of the world at the time. And Christians are trying to figure out what to do. And they're, they're, they're arguing between Jews who still thought, we're kind of special to God, even though like we believe in Jesus he, we're the chosen people. And they're like, well, what about the Greeks? What about the Gentiles? Do they receive any of the blessing or any? Are they different? And, and Paul says, we're all under sin, the Jews and the Gentiles. And he reads this, this pretty morbid scripture from the Old Testament. There is none righteous, not even one. There's no one who understands, no one who seeks God. All have turned away. Their throats are open graves. They deceive with their tongues. There is no fear of God but before their eyes. He just has this like, like y'all think you're great. You're not. And then he says, now we know that whatever the law says, which is the Old Testament way, right, the Israelites' laws, it says to those who are under the law so that every mouth may be silenced and the whole world may be held accountable to God. The laws show the standard of what God expects for humans. For no one is declared righteous or right standing before God before him by the works of the law, for through the law comes the knowledge of sin. Now, if we just, if we just take just, this is a little Old Testament Bible lesson for like 20 seconds, the point of the law in the Old Testament is to reveal to us what right standing before God looks like and what wrong standing looks like. And the laws were created to help us not run down the paths of wrong standing. And so then when Jesus comes, and they're all trying to work all this out, he's like, no, no, no. Jesus demonstrated the perfect reality of the law in his life, 
and he also is forgiving you for screwing it up continually. And so if we take that as our, our level of fairness, right, if we, if we say, what is God's level of fairness? It is that all have fallen short, right? That's the verse maybe you've heard when you were younger, or maybe you've never heard it, but it says, all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God, everyone. But they are justified, meaning they are made right, made right freely by his grace. The landowner decides, I'm going to pay you what's mine. I'm going to give it to you, regardless of how long you work. And God publicly displayed this uh, through Jesus as the mercy seat, accessible through faith. And then he says, uh, this is done by faith and not works. For we consider that a person is declared right before God by faith apart from the works of the law. Is, is God the God of the Jews only? Is he not the God of the Gentiles too? Yes, of the Gentiles too. Since God is one, he will justify all. And I just, I love this story because it just reminds us that like when we focus so much on others and whatever they've given us, that we lose sight of the debt that has been forgiven for us. And every one of us has had a debt. Earlier, Jesus used parables where he would say, well, so-and-so owed five coins and this person owed 50. And he asks Peter, hey, which one do you think experienced a greater level of love and grace and forgiveness? He's like, oh, the one who owed 50. But what we forget is both of them owed money and both of them were forgiven. Praise God, right? Uh, a couple weeks earlier, there was a guy who owed like a gazillion dollars and was never going to pay it off, right? And he was like, I'll pay it off, give me time. And the guy that had, that, that had the debt on him was like, all right, I'll forgive it, which is just ridiculous. And then that guy goes to the, debt, the small debt this guy owes him, and he says, give me my money, right? He's strangling him for it. And, and then the, the rich guy's like, what are you doing? I just forgave him a gazillion dollars, and here you are strangling someone for a few thousand dollars. Our debt, we have to first realize that, like, that we have a, a debt, and I would argue it's probably more significant than you think it is, and that God has repaid that. And if we just can focus on that, there's a sense of being grateful and being unified. And what Jesus gets at, and I think our, our application, as I invite Lucas up, um, is, is that when we ask ourselves, when we read the scriptures, when we think about the kingdom of God, the best question that I think we can ask is what vision is Jesus painting? Because we get so caught up in the nitty-gritty, like, I need to do this thing, I need to do that thing, and this will be great. But we forget why. Why is Jesus showing this kingdom? What does it mean? And here's what a kingdom, it does this that honors our own, our own selves and reward in light of God's fairness as opposed to our own, is it's, it's a world where people are not obsessed with being impressive or receiving kickbacks or awards or notoriety. Uh, this community is thankful in their humble self, contributing where they are. They all have a spirit of thankfulness. If they, were, they were all generous because they know their life, their resources, their money, their talents are not theirs, but given as a gift from God. And it is gifts it is God's gifts that he gets to pick what he does with. Which he says, can I do what I want with my own stuff? There will be no pride, manipulation, greed, power structures. There would be no consumption of people for the sake of yourself. We wouldn't be comparing each other. We'd be grateful and unified. That's the kingdom that God is trying to paint. And the very people that want to be in that kingdom, if they start comparing themselves and getting angry with God's standards, it's just silly. The best way I describe it is like whenever we play pickup basketball, we usually shoot for teams trying to trying to just stay equal here, okay? But you know, in the old-fashioned days, like I said, in dodgeball, you'd pick your teams. And th this story is is like hitting the person who you you're not a captain, but you get drafted first round, your first pick, and you're like, let's go, I'm awesome, great. And then your captain keeps making terrible picks, and you're like, what are you doing? And then that whole game, all you do is complain and whine about how bad your team is and about how you can't believe that your captain picked all those to all those players like what a terrible lame like nobody wants to be around you right but what if you're like wow i cannot believe what a cool honor i was picked first that's amazing 
I'm just excited I get to play the gift of this sport. Like, I have legs that work right now, and, and I get to play, and I get to hang out with these people, and I get to do this thing that I really love. And that's the same mentality that we should take in our lives, is that God has given you a breath now, and he has given you another breath, and he has given you another breath, and he has given you people in your life, in this community who love you, and he's given you a purpose, and he's given you so many good things. And, and, if, and, and we, if we could just be comfortable daily surrendering that our idea of fairness is not right, that if we can be willing to be last so that we'll be first, that we truly find right relationship with him and with others. So as we transition here from a time um, of teaching into formation, we have four things that we'd love for you to interact with. The first one is uh, just reflecting on this. We'd love, like, we don't want to be a church that's constantly on the go. Maybe there's some things you just want to process and pray through. Second thing is we have people who would love to pray for you in the back. Keep it anonymous if you want. Um, they could just pray for you over something. We also have the bread and cup, which is the symbol and the reminder that Jesus' sacrifice is the gift of grace because you, no one has been perfect. Everybody has a debt. Jesus paid it. And so you can take that anytime as well if you, if you follow Jesus. And then lastly, we, give, we believe giving is not just an act of obedience, but of faith and worship and formation into being a generous, hands-open person. So those are your options. We'll give you a little bit of time. Uh, and then we will close with one more song. So just go ahead and reflect on some of those, and you can partake in any of those at any time. Thank you for listening to the Contrast Church Podcast. To learn more about us and how you can be a part of it, visit contrast.church.